When I was 19, I got an insurance settlement. And then the next two days, I ended up spending $5,000. I woke up with this panic of like, I'm gonna go through this money in yeah. a matter of months. The client relationships you want are the multi-decade relationships. Totally. And those are the ones you get by providing good advice, not necessarily maybe the cheapest product up front. Do you want someone to go to a nice restaurant and have a good service? Or do you want them to go to a nice restaurant and just go get it yourself? Everybody wants to talk about retiring. Nobody wants to talk about dying. There seems to be this general perception that like bad things will just never happen to you. I want to know enough to be dangerous, but I don't actually want to be dangerous. I wasn't going to go there, but I guess you did. Welcome back to the Risky Assets Podcast. We have our special guest and friend here, Stephen Johns. Me and Steve go way back, way back, <laughs> way back. We just want to get right into like maybe some context of how we know each other. In your mind, what was the first memory of me that you have? Oh, man. Because I have mine, which uh, is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it would have to be when we met up at one of the events for Calvary. And mine was when I chop blocked your knee trying yeah. to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but I guess you did. So, so yeah. me and Steve played football against each other. Uh, and Rivals. we had a scouting report <laughs> that he maybe had a bum knee. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. So I was like, well, I'll put the crown of my helmet on this kid's knee if it ever comes up. And I tried. <laughs> Thankfully, nothing broke. Nothing, I missed. Fine. I whiffed. And somehow you guys have managed to become friends. Now we're really good friends. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. funny. Uh, which is very really ironic. Funny. Yeah. So for some actual context, Steve does a lot of my financial planning and uh, for my family as well. I think we've just had a really good working relationship and friendship over the years. So you are our first guest on the Risky Assets wow. podcast. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a big yeah, accomplishment. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. Yeah, I feel very privileged. We'll send you a plaque like that YouTube plaque over there. Um, Please. So anyway, man, thanks for coming. We yeah. just wanted to pick your brain. And um, really, we're an entrepreneurial podcast, and we're just trying to tap into young people who are making it through kind of their journey in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah. Um, so I thought you'd be a perfect fit for that. Um, so just kind of intro to you. Are you a financial planner or a wealth manager? I don't necessarily know if I know the difference. <laughs> no, it's a good question and I get it a lot. So when people say wealth manager, I try to avoid that because they assume that you need wealth to work with a financial advisor. Sure. Uh, and financial advisor can be so broad that it gets confusing because people don't actually know what that means sometimes or they have way different backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, I I know money and I didn't I don't know the difference. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I prefer financial planner because okay. uh, planning should be centric to what we're doing. And sure. so by calling ourselves financial planners, we kind of put that in people's minds when and we introduce ourselves. Sure. So how did you get into it? Because I know when we were younger, like we kind of started our insurance, my insurance journey and your financial planning right around the same time. Yeah. How did it come to be? Yeah. So funny enough, it actually dates back to during college. Okay. Um, because when I was 19, I got uh, an insurance settlement that came out of the blue, had no was idea. Was this a dog? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> dog bite. It was when I was young, I didn't even know anything would come of it. And then next thing I know, I've got this big check and I have no idea what to do with it. So I deposit it in a bank account. And then the next two days, I ended up spending $5,000 on new flat screen TV, computer, some clothes. <laughs> and I woke up Did it Monday. feel good, though? Oh, it felt great. <laughs> but then on Monday, I woke up with this panic of like, I'm going to go through this money in yeah. a matter of months. Yeah. I have no idea what to do with it. So I went to a bookstore because back then you had to go to actual bookstores yeah. and went to the finance section. Oh, we're not that old. I know. Like, get out of here. <laughs> you could have Googled it. You just like books. Yeah. Actually, that's true. That's very true. Uh, so I went and picked up like 
maybe two or three different books on finance okay. and just read them just for personal benefit sure. and then got sucked in and was like, whoa, this is actually very interesting to me. So yeah, I know over the years you had owned that, um, I think you purchased a house that you were renting out during college yeah. and then you were part of a, what was the investment group called? Mad something. Madman Capital. Madman Capital. Yeah. That's Great name what it for was. an investment group. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. These dudes <laughs> take all the risky stuff out yeah. and that's what they do. Um, so I knew again, of kind of that stuff, but I didn't know how you got into the work itself. So that's fascinating to hear. Yeah. And then you took that, you went to college for business finance. finance. Yep. And then what? So after I graduated, it was kind of like in the job hunt, looking around at different places, big banks weren't hiring. It was sure. too soon after the financial yeah, crisis. Right. Sure. So it, it was all going to be pretty much small firms that were looking at uh, kind of recouping and recovering. So I, it was on the golf course at Elkins Ranch. I uh, was in a tournament, ended up being paired up with a guy named Terry Martin. And he was like, hey, you just graduated uh, in finance. Why don't you come meet with me? And okay. so I was like, yeah, I'll be happy to. Met sure. with him, talked through stuff. And then I didn't hear from him for four months. <laughs> it's going so well. then his son yeah. called me out of the blue four months later and was like, hey, are you still looking? We no want to hire. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm open. And so how long was that? It's just and once they said it called you back, were you starting a week later? Did yeah. you have to go through all your testing or did they get you? No. Wow. I, no. I was already kind of, I knew that's the route I wanted to go. Sure. So I was already going through the process of getting the testing done. That's how it was for me. I was like, nope, I'm getting my insurance license and I'll look for jobs yeah. after. So I knew I was going to kind of When you know, you might as well put in the front end work. Do you feel like there's an advantage to working for a small business as opposed to like jumping into a larger house? What was your experience there? Yeah, I'm actually very thankful that that's where yeah. I started for a couple of reasons. Personally, it's nice because of the flexibility okay. when you're working with a small company. And then the opportunities are way different. And when you're not working through a prescribed right. ladder set of growth and you yeah, got to be a manager and here or there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I was able to get hands into client scenarios and relationships from day one because yeah. I was working with the guy yeah. from day one. So it was, in my opinion, the best learning experience. feel like you would have been stuck doing like data analysis and things like that if for you were years. in a large house for years. Yeah. And yeah, you're, a lot sense. of times you're working on such big cases that you're a cog in the wheel versus being in charge of the entire wheel. We have buddies who are at like Ernst & Young or KPMG, right? And they're working in a group of yeah, you know, for an audit department for one account. And yes. it's like, you do this one thing for the one account that you need. It's like, well, what do I take that to the rest of the marketplace? Yes. Wow. So you have to come out of that and basically start where you did of just like, all right, well, let me work on all of it so I can learn. Yes. So we've been talking about the pandemic being like the best sales pitch for small business that I think's ever happened mm -hmm. because the big businesses squeeze the life out of people and small business, you get all the flexibility and, yes. and upside of that. Yes. I think you make just the same, if not more. I think you have more upward mobility. You may not get the biggest starting sales salary, yeah. but your runway and the fact that you can work your way into a position of maybe ownership. Whereas a yes. big business, you're like, but how do you create value at a high level to a massive corporation? It right? takes a it's long tough. time yeah. to get to the C-suite yeah. and you really have to be committed and go through the proper channels and wait for people to leave. And then you're sacrificing, I think for me, the big part is like family, right? It's like how yeah. much of the time that you have, are you giving to work instead of Correct. other things that matter? So how long have you been doing it now as far as the financial planning? Yeah. 11 years. 11 years and you just became an owner, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just finally got that ownership stake it's last year. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's so Signed cool. Papers, finally. And uh, you have a business partner mm -hmm. uh, who also is doing the CPA side of the business. Yeah. Right? He runs tax and accounting. Right. And then I run financial planning. How has that synergy been with just having, you know, obviously business owners right next door? Yeah. I think for him, it was more of like, we've been working together for this entire time. Sure. So personality wise, it was already a good fit and yeah. we knew that we worked well together. 
Um, and also because we're working on two separate businesses, it's not like we're getting in the way a lot and stepping on each other's toes totally. because each business is kind of running, they, they work very closely together. And so you're missing an opportunity if you're just staying in the tax lane and you don't at least have relationships yep. with financial planners. I have this, I call it the four legs of the horse, right? The, the attorney, the CPA, the financial and the insurance. I would love to have like a business where all four of those are just in, in house. Just I like a really, one stop shop. You're not leaving. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Like, you're stuck, you know, yeah. it would just be such a hook because it's all tied in together yeah. for how a business grows. It's so huge. what do you feel like makes you different? What makes you stand out compared to the rest? Well, I'd say number one has to be the tax piece. Uh, I mean, I was raised in a tax firm. And so whenever we're making decisions from financial planning, I'm always thinking about the tax yeah, implications and taking advantage of opportunities in the tax code with sure. their financial planning. Yeah. And I have the benefit of being able to walk down the hall to a CPA to run my plans like, you know, buy I've done them it to you and, multiple yeah. times. I've said, hey, what about this scenario? Like, let me talk to Brian and I'll yeah, be right back. Right? Exactly. And it's really helpful. Yes. And we talked about payroll for the kids, right? Like these are all things that are really advantageous for a business so that it's nice to have both those people there. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think another advantage too is we don't have like product quotas or certain like yeah. things like that we're trying to get through the door. So every scenario for me is a clean slate. It's a puzzle that I get to figure out and go, okay, okay. what's in the best interest of this particular client at this point in time? And we can structure it because we're independent. We don't have those ties where we're forced to kind of go one way or another. I think that's a big part of not feeling like you're getting sold something on the quota. The right. big anything has to sell you something. Yeah. Sometimes makes the water a little muddy for people yes. what to buy. Yeah. Is that part of your onboarding process? Like, are you looking at when somebody comes in, are you just doing a full analysis right off the bat and then saying, okay, I don't think that you need my services or what does that process look like? It in is your age, in your business. Yeah. So that's why we don't charge for the initial meeting. Cause it's really just a matter of us both getting to know each other sure. and looking at the situation going, can we actually offer value here? Because if we can't offer value, then I'd like I'd rather steer you to a place that can or how to get started with a place that can offer more value than where we're at. Do a lot of planners charge like for those initial meetings yeah. or what's your experience? So they have like there? a consulting fee up front for it? They do. Um, part and I understand there's some, you know, as far as the benefit of anytime you give away something, you gotta be careful, right? Because people, yeah. you know, they'll assign no value sword, to yeah. it. I disagree a little bit with that. And for me, it's more of I don't want to charge you if our initial meeting is us getting to know each other, right? So we're just trying to figure out, is this going to be a good fit? There's no reason to charge for that because we haven't established a relationship yet. Okay. Right. But, so the other side of the coin would say, I want to know you're serious. So you're gonna have to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And you could go either way. I mean, for me, it's, we're not at a place where I'm like, you know, trying to keep people out of the door. So <laughs> right. it's like, yeah, I'm fine just setting up the initial meeting. And yeah. That's okay. yeah. We, we've been following a guy named Alex Hormozzi and he always talks about giving away up front is better than asking for reciprocation. Yeah. Right. So I think it's part of the, Hey, I just want to make sure that we can provide value for you is a really good plan. And it, yeah. it endears people too. Yes. Like that's important reputation endearing. It's, it's all part of the game. In these days, it's a part of our economy, right? So a, a lot of services sure. that you have, it's all free trial based. Yeah. You know, people are used to signing up for something and getting at least a week or two weeks or whatever it that's is to point. try it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so if that's the way our economy is and what people are used to, then it makes sense for our service industry to kind of be the same where the initial consultation, you know, we, we are going to maybe give away a little bit of something to give you a taste so that then you can go, ah, I trust this person. I could work with them. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And the long game is everything for us, right? Like, mm -hmm. especially in insurance, we don't think about making money like a text company would like tomorrow. Right. It's a long game play, <laughs> yeah. which is basically you're lining up with that. It's a long game play. It is. What are some things that you do you feel like differently or maybe even better than some of those large houses that make you, you know, bring your individual style to the financial planning game? 
Yeah. So one of the areas I'd say would be a little bit different is for the most part, when you meet with kind of a, a wirehouse or one of the larger reps, a lot of times the conversation goes to investments very, very quickly. Yeah. And we take a little bit of a different track. And I use this example with clients where I'll say, when you go to meet with your doctor, it probably wouldn't be the best feeling if the doctor immediately started off the meeting talking about different medications. After a while, you'd kind of be like, we should diagnose first. We yeah. should figure out what's wrong <laughs> sure. with me. And then we'll talk about you medication. need surgery. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like that was a little too quick. I'm it was my left knee doc yeah. on my right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. <laughs> so for us, we start with the plans, which is kind of, again, a little bit of a lost leader. It totally is. Yeah. Devoting some time into mm -hmm. building a little bit of some planning on the front end before we dig into some of the investment conversation, because at least I know where you're going because yeah. clients have very different goals. And so for some clients, it's like, okay, this is the best strategy. Now that I know where you're going and how we need to get there. Yeah, I can lead you down the road. Yes. Yeah. And it also identifies some problems early on where if the client has very unrealistic expectations and I jump too quick to kind of bringing some assets in just to kind of get stuff in the door, we're going to have to deal with difficult conversations down the road when all of a sudden now I have to unravel yeah. those expectations as opposed to if I do some planning and go, oh, actually, there's a few things we need to get through before we dig into some of this other stuff. Do you find in those meetings, you're also having them bring you bad information that someone told them or <laughs> yeah. someone that was like trying to pitch them something that didn't fit all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. see that in insurance. Like it's usually to undersell someone like to lower the pricing. And we're like, hey, that's just not even close. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, who's lying here? Right. But that's usually the first yeah. issue. But uh, I feel like I actually time. experienced that with you even when you were kind of reviewing some of my own insurance and you were going through some of the quotes and, and things that were on the table. You even referenced you're saying, yeah, listen, if you want to get the cheapest price, I'll just remove all your coverage and we'll get something real <laughs> that's cheap. That's how it's done. That's such a Charlie statement. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to come into a lawsuit and be like, you did the wrong thing and right. now you're going to yeah. have to pay for it. I'm like, dude, why would I want to live that in, in that realm at all? Yeah. And then it's a customer experience issue, right? Yeah. Like, do you want someone to go to a nice restaurant, have a good service? Or do you want them to go to a nice restaurant and just go get it yourself? Right. You know, it, it just, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense to me. No. So we just try and provide value. And if you don't see it, we're not the right fit. Right. So which is, you know, you said that too, if we can't provide you value. Yeah. The client relationships you want are the multi-decade relationships. Totally. And those are the ones you get by providing good advice, not necessarily maybe the cheapest product up front. And you are an advisor, right? So it's like, we treat ourselves the same way. Like we are advisors to something that's really important in your mm -hmm. life. You should pay attention and you should yeah. want someone who's doing it at a high level. Definitely. So what does your clientele look like? Do you have a general niche or is it people just up and down the spectrum? I will say most of our clients tend to be the ones kind of approaching like within 10 years and transitioning into retirement. Sure. Kind of paid more attention at that point. Yes. Yeah. It's, on the, it's on the top of their mind mm -hmm. and they're thinking about it. I do like some of the longer term you know, trajectories because I have more I can do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but even within 10 years, a lot of times we get clients and they're going, wait, I actually don't know if I can retire. Right. I need to figure yeah. this out. And it's important, too, because from a tax perspective, yeah. when you're working, you have main source of income, right? Most of the time it's, you know, a couple paychecks and, and that's what you live off of. When you retire, you're now talking about maybe four or five different accounts and you're figuring out which one do I draw from, at what time, how much. There's all of these implications. Yeah. So that's usually when we get clients is all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, my future is very cloudy and yeah. I need to figure this out. Yeah, square yeah. it up. Do you deal with like trust attorneys or like, are you bringing those people to the table as well when you're like, all right, someone who's more high net worth, you have to deal yeah. with those tax implications? Yes, you need a bigger team with bigger assets. So a lot of times it, it is connecting to the various players to make sure everybody's in the appropriate position. And obviously the more net worth you're dealing with, the more people you need on that team yeah, to fill different roles. We do yeah. that with estate planning for 
big IULs for people who are trying to take care of their tax bill and, you know, trying to do estate planning and what does secession look like for my money to my, to the next yeah. generation. So, cause obviously we're not attorneys yeah. and then, you know, there's so <laughs> much that you can do on that yeah. side of it that you're like, well, if I wasn't paying the service for this, I would be screwing my clients. Yes. One of the uh, insurance products that we've talked about a lot with clients, and I know that it overlaps in your world, is annuity products. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard people, uh, financial planners, say that like annuities should be a part of every, you know, every retirement plan or every investment portfolio. What are your thoughts on uh, annuities, how they function within a retirement plan, and what their purpose is? Yeah, so we do utilize them. I mean, annuities to me, it's one of the tools in the toolbox. So I tell clients like we have access to a whole toolbox full of tools to fix various different problems. Yeah. And uh, annuities can sometimes come with a bad rap because sometimes people come in with these pretty negative headlines when it comes to annuities and they go, oh, I will never touch one. We tiptoe into that when we bring it up. We're like, we know yes. it's probably something bad's happened. Well, and a lot of people just don't even understand that like a, uh, an old school pension plan is built off of the back an of an annuity. annuity. Yeah. yeah. Or like, or, or a, you know, a fireman who's retiring. A pension sounds better though. It's like, yeah, the it does. It totally does. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's why it feels better. Well, it doesn't have the media baggage that annuities do yeah. um, because they, they kind of came under fire from multiple directions. And so what I tell clients is that, look, it, it's a tool like anything else, yeah. right? If you're telling, if you hand me a hammer to go work with a screw, like it's the wrong tool. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, you got to figure out where the right tool is. You could force it. Like yeah. you could, you know. <laughs> If you hit it hard enough, it would work. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of one of those things. And maybe some people view it that yeah. way. Uh, but it's so funny because annuities come in, in various forms. I yeah. mean, some of them, like the fixed annuity world, is great for like a conservative section of a portfolio totally, where yeah. the client's like, look, I don't ever want to see a negative statement. So yeah. it's like, okay, well, that's where. Take a portion of. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, fixed index annuities or in, uh, fixed annuities can play well there. Yeah. Um, the other area that we use them in retirement planning is when clients have like a low percentage of guaranteed income. Yeah. So let's say only so you need to gamble some more. You need to try and get some upside, right? Well, only twenty percent of their income maybe is guaranteed from maybe Social Security, and eighty sure. percent of their income is coming from variable investments. Some yeah. clients just aren't comfortable with that. Yeah, I hear that. So, so you, you're looking at like a SPIA, which would be like a single premium immediate annuity, something right. that can pay yep. them right off the bat. Yeah, give okay. them a higher level of guaranteed income, so at least maybe half their income every month is yeah, at least the coming. market volatility off the table for them on that yes. stuff. Yeah. And it depends on the client. I have some clients very comfortable with market volatility. Right. So for them, a SPIA is not the right choice, yeah. you know, but for some clients they're going, no, I don't want to rely on the stock market for most of my income. Yeah. Yeah. My dad has, um, has an annuity that pays him, uh, just under a thousand dollars every single month. But like, we're so thankful for it because it's a, you know, it's a guaranteed yeah. income source that we know is going to come in on a monthly basis. Yep. And when somebody's on a tighter budget, guaranteed income is super helpful. Yes, it is. And you can, you can count on it last for as long as you do. So if you lived 120 years old, yep. companies got that factored in. So you well, just keep getting not, paid. Not nicely. They don't yeah. like it, but <laughs> they it, don't it, like can you. Do it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Uh, where do you see the future of financial planning? Cause I know insurance is changing a lot. We're trying to be on the front end of using technology and changing yeah. the way we do business and being efficient. What does that look like? Cause man, there's so many like do it yourself. Yeah financial planning tools that yeah. are out there. Yeah. So where do you see it? How do you guys fit in? What's your long term on that? Yeah, I actually think about this a lot because the industry is changing. Um, the As far as the do-it-yourself tools, 
for as far as financial planning goes, I don't think they're there yet because there's so many different variables that right now computing just can't incorporate that many different things into one situation. Hmm. Here's where I do see it changing is I, I see financial planners as being almost like more and more removed from the investment side of the equation and doing a lot of the strategy around the financial planning and making sure all the pieces are together because in the future, I think you'll have, you know, a series of set strategies that are all automated and run by sure. computers. And you just find the one that fits each tier of the client's plan and kind of plug and play. And then you spend all your time dealing with the client going, okay, how do we handle taxes? How do yeah. we review this next year? Are we hitting the goals? Are we hitting savings? Uh, and so you can spend your time strategizing, which is what computing has such a hard time doing. Right. Well, it can't factor into someone who says, I don't want to deal with the stock market the way it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that's still a human emotional yes. response where yeah. someone is like, I don't care. I'll ride the wild west all yeah. day long. Yeah. Right. So yes. that's even, a tough a, part. even a risk tolerance tool, you know, that a lot of that a lot of advisors use isn't going to be able to capture that yeah. because you can tell when you sit down with a client how risk averse they are. Yes even based off of what they put on a piece of paper, it's like, this may not be fully accurate. <laughs> well, Especially I tell when everyone, you explain it, it's kind of become different than a little slide yes. scale. I tell lots of clients that everyone is super risk tolerant until you hit a bear market. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And then it's everyone's called the like invisible wall of fear. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it, it exists. You just don't know that it's there until yeah. you hit yeah. it. Yeah. And so there are like, there are questions that I kind of feed in there because if their life is organized, very risk adverse, and then they mark a sheet of paper and tell me, oh no, yeah, go for the moon. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this isn't going to work <laughs> out. I, I don't think it fits you. Uh, I love it. In your opinion, what are the things that give your industry kind of the bad rap or that kind of make it difficult for people to trust you because we have those in our industry it's like it's because yeah. of those other guys that it makes it difficult for clients to trust us yeah i think it comes back to the sales mentality uh it can do some damage sometimes um, because i'll have clients that will have a great first couple of meetings with an advisor they feel really good about it uh they usually end up you know getting sold specific products that then they're in and then they never hear from the advisor again yeah. and it's mainly because all of the products maybe were pure like front end commission. And that's the advisor's model is just kind of like plant mm. a few products and then you know, see you later. Yeah. Uh, and that can be unfortunate because uh, there are, they'll come to us and we have to kind of unwind some yeah. things. And so when well, some things are kind of stuck into like on our yeah. end, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm tired of this IUL after yeah. two years. I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> you're going to take a bath. You got to yeah. stay into it. You yeah. Know? So yeah. And we deal with that. I mean, to be honest, that's part of like the lost leader stuff. If we're in it for the long-term relationship, sometimes we do. Well, maybe they got planted into an annuity when they didn't need one and it didn't fit the goal and they want to get out of it, but they're in a seven year surrender and they're two years in. That's where my mom's situation is right now on a deferred annuity. She's yeah. like, she's basically just waiting out the days to finish the last, you know, I think she has a year and a half left yeah. on the deferred annuity contract. And she's like, in hindsight, I wouldn't have done this. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, in, a lot of times in those scenarios, when we come in, what we'll do is we'll say, okay, well, we'll help you manage it, even though we're not going to make any money on it because yeah. it's usually all the commission's been paid up for yeah, us. Up front. Exactly. And so we'll just say, look, we'll build it in the plan. We'll help incorporate it as best we can. You have some control. You know what's going to happen to it. You can love them up if it's time to transition. So, yeah. I mean, having control in our industry is a big part yeah. of what we do. Yes. It's just it's easier yeah. and no one else is in the hen house. Yes, so. exactly. I think that's where the bad rap comes is just the... Uh, idea of kind of broken trust. Like it was this idea of like, oh, I thought this was going to work out. I mean, I had a client that I met with the other day and he opened the meeting by saying, look, 
I've worked with three advisors and the same thing has happened every time. Let me mm. tell you about it. And it was like his wife had to drag him into this meeting. Yeah. And it was so did like, you do the same thing the fourth time? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I just repeated it for yes. him. Yeah. It's just solidified. So those deferred annuities yeah. all the way so we can get paid. Yeah. No, I mean, it, took, it, it was like some conversational piece of like kind of walking him back a little bit and saying, okay, yeah, I know. And, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like it because trust has been broken, it's going to take a little while totally. for me to have these conversations and to kind of yeah. show. And I have to dig a little bit deeper on this situation just because it's been burned. And so I think that's where you get, if you look online and you get some of the bad media around, it's typically because somebody broke trust and you know maybe they got into a situation that they weren't prepared for. Yeah, yeah. I hear you on that. So on our end, we kind of wanted to talk about things that maybe we overlap on or how you know an insurance agency and a, and a financial planner could work on. Um, what are things that you see, obviously you have the CPA side that there's a lot of synergy there. What are things that insurance agents and financial planners can do well to have some synergy together? Yeah, I think there's a lot of areas. I mean, for just from a big picture perspective, uh, they're different worlds, right? And so you have a lot of different products and a lot of different tools and I can't know the entire toolbox. And I would actually be doing my clients a disservice to say that I can know everything about everything, right? That's just not humanly possible. So I tell clients a lot of times that I can help play a position on the team. Really what you're helping the client do is you're helping them fill certain Mm -hmm. roles and go, okay, look, I'm not going to be the receiver, but I can at least guide you to the receiver and Mm -hmm. say, all right, here, here's where it's time to go meet with this person because you need to get this settled in your, uh, plan. And so a lot of times when it comes to different types of insurance, like for example, we have lots of cases where life insurance can fill a need for a client plan. Um, but we're just not set up to go through all the different, I mean, you got to know about all the various life insurance companies. Do you want to tell them who does your life insurance? (laughs) You do. Well, and you can do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm yeah licensed, but I, I'm not going to do it. You're life licensed. He's licensed. And he yeah. called me and goes, dude, you need just, can we just do this for me? That's yeah. fantastic. That's, yeah. It's yeah. hilarious. I, I just, it's one of those things where I want to know enough to be dangerous, sure, <laughs> but I don't actually want to be dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I hear that. And so for me, it's more of this idea of like, I want to know how to position clients well, but I don't need to execute. And so a lot of times it is just a matter of, and I've even experienced it firsthand where I've had conversations with you and you said this company, maybe their medical underwriting is perfect for this client situation yeah. or something like that, where it's like, yeah. you need to go with this company. That's mm-hmm. the knowledge I don't have. I'm yep. not working with these different insurance companies. And yeah. so if it were me, I'd probably steer them to one. Maybe they get denied. Now that's there on, on their record. It's not for conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's all that stuff. Totally. Yep. Yeah. What do you see as the most common thing that comes up where you're like, someone's got to fix that on their insurance portfolio? Well, more and more, it's becoming a conversation around the long-term care issue. Yeah, um, yeah and I so, mean, we all deal with that in some yeah. fashion or form. Yeah. yeah, it's there. Sometimes there is a big gap. Sometimes they're able to self-insure if they have enough assets, depending on you know how much they're spending. Right. Um, honestly, some of it though just comes from life insurance coverage. Yeah. Like I'll see huge gaps in plans where I'll run the analysis for them. And maybe it's inflation. Maybe it's just people not paying attention, <laughs> but they'll have like $500,000 worth of coverage and they'll be like, great, I'm good. Yeah. It's like, you understand you make $200,000 a year. That goes yeah. real fast. Yeah. <laughs> it goes real that money's fast. gone. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, and we're jumping into life insurance awareness month. And so I imagine as part of wealth planning, you take a look at that side often so that you yeah. can tell families 
this is where the gap exists. Yeah. I always felt like everybody wants to talk about retiring. Nobody wants to talk about dying. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. that, yeah. you run into that a lot on your side? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Yes, I do. And it's, it's, I run into it, not only life insurance, but also on the trust and estate yeah, work. It's like, I'm sure. telling, I'm convincing my clients, dragging them to get trust. I'm like, you understand how much money you're going to save on this? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, they don't want to go through the questions of like, Hey, who gets this when I die? When I die. You yeah. know? And so it it's is, tough, it's a tough question. It yeah. is. But I also feel like that's where we provide the service, right? We're, we're going to handhold our clients into conversations that maybe they're never going to default into. Yeah. Uh, and so it is important to have these conversations and to do the gap analysis. Cause I'll take my clients through a scenario. Okay. All right. Let's just plan it out. Okay. Something happens to you. Here's what your family has now. Here's the amount of income they can generate. And a lot of times responses, that's not enough. Not yeah. enough is you what go, we get okay, a lot of the time. Well, here's, yeah. here's where we need to fill a gap now. Yep. And so I find it's helpful to get the clients to visualize the space a little bit more as much as it's not something they want to do. And that's where the technology can't visualize, can't no. make the picture. Yeah. It so can't yeah, describe can't, the they narrative. They can't feel it. So we've had clients where they're like, Hey, a, a million's good enough. I'm like, well, if you want them to pay the mortgage off and then have money for college, you have a hundred thousand dollars left over. Yeah. <laughs> they can't live off of that. No. And then there's other people who I'm like, hey, but if you take three, four million, they could just let it sit there and they can live off of your income, what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's more money, but it takes that. Is there enough completely off the table? Yeah. And I also feel like it, maybe it, some of it comes from there seems to be this general perception that like bad things will just never happen to you. And, you know, it's like, well, that's happens to other people out there, but I'm fine. Like yeah. I drive to work every day and I'm okay and I'm going to be safe because it's something you hope you'll never use. Of course. So it's a weird, you know, insurance is kind of a weird thing in the sense of like you're you're buying something you hope you never actually it's use. True. Yeah. No, it's true. But it's necessary. It yeah. is. It's well, investing in your future. Yeah. 100%. I want to go back to one thing that you talked about with long-term care. That hits home personally for me right now. We're managing things with my dad mm -hmm. and like trying to figure out how to care for him. I think the statistic that I read was that 75% of people are going to need long-term care at some point in their life, whether mm -hmm. they're just elderly and incapable of handling it or whether or not there's a a stroke or an accident or mm -hmm. something like that. And you mentioned that like whether or not long-term care is necessary or whether or not somebody can self-insure, like where's the tipping point for that when it comes to, to wealth management and saying, okay, I think that you have enough yeah. because they also say that long-term care is the, is the easiest liquidator of estates yep. in the United States of America. It's the fastest thing that people sell the house, they reverse mortgage, they do all of those things. Yeah, we got grandma spending 16 a month on in-home care right yeah, now. I yeah, know. so it, 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 it hits it's home hard. right now. Like yeah. it's, it's a good thing to talk about. Yeah, and that's where the planning comes in handy because if I already have their, let's say I have their entire plan projected from, let's say they're retiring at 65 and I got it run all the way through 95. Yeah. So I have 30 years of data there and I'll kind of go through the narrative with them again and I'll say, okay, long-term event happens. Here's how much it costs right now for long-term care. And yeah. they just watch their portfolio graph, yeah. take a nosedive yep. yep. into the ground. What do you estimate that at for them right now on a, on a monthly basis? Like, do you uh, give them a number as far on as it? cost? Yeah. yeah. It depends on where they're located. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of times here you're talking about $200,000 easy. Yeah. And so uh, per year. So it's like, it's kind of that idea of like, I'm not going to let you go under, you know, an amount just even just from an illustrative perspective. I just want to put something in there to show you, Hey, this is more significant. Cause a lot of times I find that when they think about it in their head, they're like, ah, maybe an extra 80 grand. It's like not even close. When you say yeah. 200 grand, <laughs> it like baffles people, but yeah. 16,000 is what grandma yeah. is spending right yes. now. So it easily gets there and it could be more. Yes. They could get people a little bit more qualified to take care yeah. of her and it would be a little bit more money. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's hard for people to grasp that, especially in LA, obviously we're a big market, but like New York and Chicago, yeah. like all these big markets this is roughly the same. Yeah. 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 I worked at one of my most random jobs was I, I worked at a retirement home for a stretch of about three years. 
And uh, for a part of that time, I worked in the marketing department. So we were, you know, talking to people all the time and showing rooms and things like that. At that time, and that was like 1997, they were renting for $11,000 a month for full-time care. Yeah. But I tell people like, that was 1997. Yeah. <laughs> like, we've had a little bit of inflation. Yeah, like yeah. Imagine, imagine what we're at right now. How much yeah. money we've printed? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's like, we're a long way out there now. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for us to even have the conversation. You have to have it early enough on top yeah. of that. Correct. Yeah. And it's just, it's a tough one that people I think eventually will square up. There's been, uh, States who have been trying to mandatorily yep. force it on people, yeah. and yeah. it's still broken. But I think <laughs> yeah. when they fix it and they get it right, everyone yeah. at some point will have to have it. In well, some the capacity. baby boomers are coming, you know, are yeah. coming to that point now where they're getting, you know, heavy into those needs, and a lot of them never bought it, and so it's putting a strain on the system yep. that was never accounted for. And their know. kids, by the way, I don't yeah. think those boomers think about what they're doing to their kids and the financial yeah. stress it puts on them. One of the key goals that a lot of clients tell me early on in the relationship is they say, "Look, I just don't want to live with my kids." Like that's, huh. you know, that's a big thing that they tell them. <laughs> it's and, the exact opposite. Yeah. Some people though, some people look at their kids and they're like, well, you're taking care of me. My, right? mom's, <laughs> my mom's Latin, right? So she's like, like you're going yeah. you're gonna to take, take care of me. You're like, well, no, no, no. I mean, I will, but come on. Like, yeah. uh, no, it's, it's one of like the, the top goals that I hear from a lot of people. And, and it's hard now. It's getting harder because you have the, the traditional long-term care policies. They're all leaving. They're they all are like yeah, trying yeah. to back out. Too expensive. Yeah. 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 So well, yeah, money. John Hancock stopped selling it in California. Yeah. They're like, we're done. Yep. And they just bounced. They're like, we can't, no yeah. can't yeah. handle yeah. it because the claims were too heavy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They mispriced them yep. and now they're trying to catch up. And I know we had talked about maybe some things that I'm doing, even with my kids, with like the things between a 529 plan, right. uh, UTMA, mm-hmm. which you could probably explain what that is, and then yeah. an IUL for a kid. Yeah. Like, what are the different scenarios that that makes sense for each person? Because there's a lot of like, hey, it's always this, it's always that, which I completely disagree with that mentality. Yeah. So how do you see those playing out if someone's like, I want to save for my child for whatever the goal is? Yeah. Uh, it's a question I get a lot. The 529 plan, really, it's you just have to make sure that that's going to be very college or higher education centered. And so what I tell clients is you need to be reasonably certain that a child is going to college. And I say a child because you can switch the beneficiary on those plans. So if you set it up for child A and child A becomes a rock star and doesn't go to college and child B decides to go to college, you can switch it over. So the government cares less about who's getting the benefit. Just that someone's doing it. Yes, that it's going towards higher education. And the reason why they set it up that way is because you get tax free growth in a 529 plan and which is why you want to set it up really early when the child's young of course you want to maximize that growth yeah Um, but again you you also want to be reasonable reasonably certain because if you don't if you're not able to use it for college or higher education purposes, then your growth is now taxed plus a 10% penalty. Of course. Sometimes I, it sounds like the kids had no choice. And they're like, no, every yeah. single one of <laughs> yes. my kids is going to college. Yeah. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, especially if the tree has something to say yes, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tree controls. The tree controls. Yeah. So for me, it's more of like, if I hear that, then I, I'm, I feel pretty good about a 529. There have been some cases where we've had clients could decide they wanted to take a few classes. Yeah. Well, and I heard I had a guy um, at my previous agency who was saying that like, he's like, my kids aren't going to use it. And there's like this, an, this accredited golf school down in Orange County. And he's like, I'm going like, I'm going to, you know, this, yeah. is no this is how I'm going to leverage the money. That's amazing. Yeah. I've seen it used for like wine appreciation classes oh, and stuff. And it's like, oh, you, if it's accredited, is, it yeah, works. Yeah, this stuff exists. Yeah, it's so funny. So it's like, you get, there's like maybe like higher education is kind of broad. And so yeah. people kind of take a little bit of liberty with it. I don't care if my kids go to college. I don't think 
think it's got the value that it wow, used to it's have. It's very progressive. I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> Dude, at this point, they can make more money being artists YouTube. or whatever they want to. Yeah, yeah, YouTube, whatever. <laughs> so for me, the UTMA and the IUL speak to me because I don't like school. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty obvious. Sometimes I will split it. I mean, UTMA, right, stands for Universal Transfer to Minors Act. All mm -hmm. that means is you're setting up an account for a child that is not of age right. yet. Uh, and you are controlling the assets until they reach age of majority, which could be 18 or 21, depending on how you set it up. Okay. Um, and so that one's a little bit more flexible because you're just setting up an account for a kid. Right, it's so, just an investment account. Yeah, so you can invest in whatever, and it doesn't matter what the funds are used for. Ultimately, you can have that flexibility. And they get better tax, I would yeah. guess, implications because they're minors. Right. right? So the first you know, $1,000 or $1,050 is non-taxed of earnings. Uh, and then the next $1,050 is taxed at the child's rate, which if they're young, it's probably zero. Uh, <laughs> and then once you get over $2,100 in earnings, then they move it to the parent's tax rate. And they do that because back in the day, a bunch of rich families oh, were, they were just pouring money yeah. into the kids' accounts yeah. and yeah. taxing it at lower rates. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the government's like, all right, we'll give that to you for to a point. So that's, I think, where then the IUL comes into play. Using it for your kids has been something that we've come up on. My brother, Wesley, had a pretty big, um, you know, health scare and he is almost uninsurable. So now he's trying to figure out a way around it. Mm -hmm. So then I started going down the road of like, what does an IUL look like for kids? It is a major advantage because you can almost guarantee insurability. There's no medical exam. You yeah. just, you, you get in, you have a policy and you keep it active at, at low premiums. It's not the highest rate of return over yeah. time. And so, yep. but ultimately it's one of those things where again, it comes back to the tools in the toolbox, right? It's going to hit a single. Every time you get up right. to the plate, it's going to hit a single. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And a lot of people pitch home runs. We talk about singles and doubles. Like we don't come in front of our clients and say, this is a home run. Yeah. yeah. Dude, home runs usually require lots of risk. Yeah. Like insurance yeah. products are meant to be singles and doubles, yeah. really. Another part that's fascinating about kind of your entrepreneurial journey is that you have a, I guess, a managing partnership now with a lot of your family in a real estate portfolio. What's been the big takeaway from all that? Sometimes real estate kind of gets like the golden boy status mm -hmm. and clients are like, oh, I got to get into real estate. It's like, well, it's a lot of work. <laughs> like yeah, just make sure you know. It's not as passive as you think it is. Yeah, yeah. you are definitely, there's some sweat equity in here. Yep. It also is helpful when it comes to helping my own clients plan when it comes to their own real estate portfolio. Sure. As far as, you know, how to protect it, how do you manage it, even just from a standpoint of evaluating real estate. I'll have some clients come in and they're happy with this rental and I'll do a calculation and their cash on cash yield is like 1.5%. Oh. And it's like, okay, I hope you're making money in the equity because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not making money on rent. Cash, well, yeah. <laughs> and so it is sometimes- Time to raise rents, dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's, for me, it's mostly just kind of going through the numbers and saying, okay, let's analyze this. You actually have to review it like it's a normal investment. So yeah. other way around, are you telling people to buy real estate when they're making a ton of money like you need some depreciation like go buy a big big piece of property yes if they're open to it right uh, okay. so some don't want the headache at all uh, but some clients they do have enough assets where i'm going hey this this should be a piece of the puzzle here we yeah. should have some real estate in and again that's not something we do um, of course yeah for me you. it's more of like i'm building that into the plan it's a going, piece of the pie give it to uncle sam or, or yeah. invest it and it comes with tax advantages like it you does. mentioned yeah. depreciation and Get so cost segregation up front on top of that like there's yeah. so much that someone can do to buy a property up yes. front for their taxes yes and so a lot of times i tell clients it's like look there's no silver bullet right you don't want to have like insurance isn't going to be the end all be all stocks and bonds aren't going to be the end all be all real estate's yeah. not you know it's you kind of want to have a mixture so that you're seeing the benefits of diversification sure yeah sure love it uh, just as we're kind of wrapping this up and coming to a close what is an ideal client for you what are you looking for that we can refer to you or that our listeners can hear and be like i gotta call this guy for this 
Yeah, I think for me, uh, ideal client would rich. Would <laughs> sorry, I'll let you go. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to calling myself a wealth manager. <laughs> I want him to sling a big bag of gold over yeah. his shoulder when he's walking through the door. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, I think an ideal client for me is one that kind of prioritizes, maybe has built up, you know, some assets. Uh, they're thinking about retirement or planning for their future. They they haven't really put together a plan, so they don't really know where they're going or what goals they want to achieve. Okay. And, and I think in that case, we can provide a lot of value because if they don't have any of that put together, even just putting that mm -hmm. on paper and yeah. having some direction can be a big benefit. Sure. Um, conversely, I would say maybe what isn't the best fit is if someone's just getting started and is essentially just making decisions of getting their savings going, yeah. there's not much value we can provide. Right. You know, because it's like, look, you have a 401k, put as much money in there as you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, that's my value. Get the match. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Don't yeah. pay me every month to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's, you know, for me, that's where it's more of like, all right, clients have maybe built up some assets and now they're actually starting to get concerned of, you know, am I on the right trajectory? Yeah, am I and doing enough? Yeah. Right. Do I, do I have a plan in place? Could I actually retire someday? And what would that look like? I right. love that. That's great. Love that. Well, Steve, thanks for coming, buddy. Of course, I know, yeah, thank I'm, you. I know we've had a lot of history, and I'm glad you got to be the first guest on the channel. I'm glad I have my knees still. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you. And for all you listeners, obviously, we'll have his information. Uh, reach out to him if you need help with your financial planning. Reach out to us if you need insurance. And uh, podcast number three coming up soon. See you guys.